0: If you have your Bible this morning, and I hope you do, turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke 19. We'll be reading verses 41 through 44 together this morning. Now, you can also follow along on the screen, or if you'd like, you can use our digital sermon notes. All you have to do is pull up our bulletin and tap on those sermon notes. It'll pull up our passage of Scripture in Luke 19 this morning. Today is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is always the week before Easter Sunday, and it's a day that we celebrate Jesus' final entry into Jerusalem. And you can read about his triumphal entry, as it's often called, in Luke 19, verses 28 through 40. You can also read it in the other Gospels as well. Hear about how the people praised Jesus as the Messiah. They cried out, Hosanna, which means, God save us celebrating the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. And so there are sermons being preached all over the world today that Jesus is king. And I hope this morning that as we study scripture together, as we read from his word, as we've sung songs, we would recognize that Jesus is the Messiah, the rightful king from the line of David, the one who has come to save his people Next week, especially, we're going to talk about how exactly he accomplished that salvation. But for this week, it's enough for us just to sit back and worship Christ as the King of Kings. We've already kind of explained what uh, what Palm Sunday is. We watched a short video just a a moment ago, and and you can read about it. And so I, I want to go to the very next set of verses happening As he's coming into the city of Jerusalem. And I want to read verses 41 through 44 out of Luke 19 together. Read read these verses with me. Luke 19, starting in verse 41. When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. Verse 43. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear down to the ground you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. As Jesus is entering the city on Palm Sunday, And everyone around him is celebrating him as the Messiah. He comes in, he looks at the city, and he weeps. This is interesting to me for several reasons, and I want to share with you this morning. Most notably is the contrast between the people celebrating and the Messiah weeping. I want to look this morning at at a sermon that I'm titling, Jerusalem's Peace. What it is that Jerusalem was missing, even in the midst of their worship. And as we observe these verses and study them together, let us get an understanding of who Jesus is, who we are, and what connection and salvation and hope there is for us through Christ. For starters, as we read this, we, we notice the striking compassion of Jesus. He is a compassionate Savior. One who who looks at a city and is moved to tears. This is actually one of three recorded instances in the Bible where Jesus cries. One of them is, is in the book of John chapter 11, when a very close friend of his, Lazarus, has passed away. And Jesus takes a moment, even knowing he can overcome death, Miraculously, he takes a moment in sorrow to cry. we read also in the book of Hebrews, it describes Jesus being moved to tears and weeping. And then here, the third instance in Luke 19, when he observes the city of Jerusalem. Now, why is Jesus crying in this particular passage? What is it that moves him to tears? I've got to be honest, I'm an emotional person and I cry extremely easily. As a matter of fact, my family makes fun of me because I've cried at Barbie commercials before. If you've not seen the Barbie commercial where the little girl is playing with her Barbies, but it shows her as a a grown-up and she's teaching a class and, and all of a sudden it flashes back to her being a little girl playing with toys, you don't have a soul. It's emotional. I cry at movies. Toy Story 3 gets me every time. Something about kids and toys. I'm a very emotional person. And I believe as we study Scripture, Jesus seems to, to wear his emotions on his sleeves as well. There are only three instances where it says that he cries. But I believe that there were more private times of him crying. It doesn't state explicitly that When he's praying before his death in the Garden of Gethsemane, that he he cried. But I believe that in that moment of anguish and stress and anxiety and even depression, as Jesus describes it, he shed tears. On the cross, I can't imagine him suffering and and not being overcome with emotion. And so here we, we read about Jesus crying again. We ask, what is the purpose of his tears? Why is he crying over Jerusalem? Are they tears of joy because he's being worshipped? Are they tears of sorrow? Are they they tears of, of just overwhelming emotion? Why is Jesus crying in Luke chapter 19? Well, he explains that part of the reason why he is so sad is because Jerusalem will be destroyed. And he describes an event that will take place decades later, actually in AD 70, where Rome comes to Jerusalem and completely wipes it out. Over the course of four months, they take siege of Jerusalem. They destroy the city and burn the temple. And as Jesus says in Luke 19, there is not one stone left unturned. It's a complete annihilation. As Jesus is moved to tears, the words that come out of his mouth are this prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem. But it doesn't seem to me like it's the destruction of Jerusalem that makes him so sad. He wasn't crying because Rome would destroy the city, although he does talk about it. Instead, it seems to me that he cries over the individual people and their lostness and the sin in their lives that is destroying their soul. Jesus sees the people in the city and he recognizes that many of them are lost and in need of a Savior and yet won't embrace him. Do you ever think that Jesus has tears shed for your salvation? His heart aches for you to know him. When he sees you in your lost state, his emotions overwhelm him. And in that moment, he he wants nothing more than to see you know him as Messiah and Savior. Jesus has great compassion for the people in Jerusalem. But the second observation I want to make this morning is not just the compassion of Jesus, but the ignorance of Jerusalem. How the people were clouded In their vision of the Messiah, they expected something different from what they received. Just a few verses earlier in Luke chapter 19, we read about this triumphal entry where Jesus was celebrated as the promised Messiah. They waved palm branches, signs of victory. They shouted, Hosanna, God save us. They recognized him as Lord and Savior, worshipped him as Messiah. And then just these verses later, Jesus sees the people of Jerusalem and he cries for their salvation. What happened? Well, what's going on? Where's the disconnect between the people who are worshipping and Jesus' sorrow for those who, who aren't? Shouldn't Jesus be overwhelmed with joy because the people who are witnessing him enter the city are crying out to him? I believe that that what we need to understand is that the different groups of people, the different categories of people represented in this passage. There are at least three. And so I'll briefly look at these three categories of people. The first are the faithful disciples who Jesus uh, the faithful disciples of Jesus who cry out, Hosanna. You see these in verses 28 uh, and following. Jesus is entering the city and not only his 12 disciples, but the, the crowd of disciples that was following him were worshiping him, were laying down their coats before him. They were, they were fanning palm branches of victory. And in this particular category of people, we see those who have put their faith and trust in Christ. Also, as you read a little bit further down, there's a second group of people. There are those who are Pharisees in verses 39 and following who who are disturbed by the worship of Christ. And so they get on to Jesus and they say, can you tell your disciples to stop worshiping? Can you tell your disciples that you're not the God? You're not the Messiah. You're not the one to be worshipped. We reject everything you're teaching. Can you tell them to stop? To which Jesus famously replies in verse 40, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The second group of, of Pharisees had utter rejection of everything that Jesus taught. Everything he stood for, they stood against. They weren't looking for salvation. They weren't looking for a Messiah. They saw Jesus as simply a nuisance who needed to be gotten rid of. But I believe these first two categories of people represent a very small percentage of the entire city of Jerusalem. Dozens of disciples, maybe even up to hundreds of disciples. There were dozens of Pharisees, certainly more within the city, But the vast majority of the thousands gathered in Jerusalem were just the common people who wanted a Messiah but didn't want Jesus. This third group wanted a Messiah but they didn't want Jesus. It's not even that they rejected the person. We read in other accounts, particularly in Matthew, that that as he enters the city, the people of the city are asking, what's going on? What is all this excitement about? Why are people so worshipful of this man? And they're seeking, they're asking questions. When they hear murmurs that this could be the Messiah, some of them maybe even pick up palm branches and wave them. Others might throw their coats down in a sign of submission. We see people in Jerusalem certainly looking for salvation, Maybe even hoping that Jesus would be that person. But when they find out who Jesus is and what he stands for, just a week later, they shout out, crucify him. You know, this third group of people are just the common individuals who want salvation but cannot see it. They're blinded, Jesus says. In verse 42, it says, they were confused about the things that make... For peace. What was it that they were looking for? The same thing you and I are looking for. They're looking for peace. They want peace. They want all of the unrest in their life to be calm. These are the people today who are wanting all of their problems fixed, everything to go back to a peaceful state. It's not just the people of Jerusalem who are looking for peace. No, I believe it's you and I today that are seeking out and crying out, God, where is my peace? This is why we get questions from believers and unbelievers alike. God, why don't you heal when I ask you to heal? God, why don't you supply when I ask you to supply? Why don't you give when I ask you to give? The people here in this context, in this passage, were so afraid of the Roman government and the oppression that they potentially would give, eventually would uh, put down. They were so uneasy about their political state that they believed the Messiah should bring political peace. And so they recognized someone coming into the city, being worshipped, as the promised Messiah, as the coming King. And their hope for political peace is sparked and they respond in a moment of worship. And Jesus weeps. Jesus cries because they were so confused about peace. They, they wanted a king, but they didn't want Jesus. They wanted Jesus to bring political peace, but what they need is for Jesus to bring spiritual peace. Coming off a series in the month of March about citizenship, we spent some time putting things into perspective, understanding that that our current lives and our current situation isn't what lasts for eternity. And so everything we do on this earth needs to feed into our eternal perspective, What is going on in the the next life? And when we have that perspective, we understand any physical, immediate, tangible needs, while they are important, pale in comparison for our need for eternal salvation. Jesus is not looking at the city and saying, your needs for political peace are unimportant. He's not looking at the city and saying, "Your, your desire for peace in your life is unimportant. He's not looking at the people and saying, your problems are not my problems. He's saying there's such a greater problem you have and you're missing it. You're blinded and ignorant to this peace. I think it's important to note that Jesus did not keep his plans a secret. It's not as if he was pulling the wool over people's eyes. He told the disciples multiple times. He preached to the masses multiple times exactly what he was planning to do. You can read through the Gospels and see that Jesus tells people, I've come to lay down my life. Never once does he say, I have come to overthrow Rome. Anytime someone looks to him to be a a political figure, he quickly quiets them. Jesus did not come with the facade of being the fixer of our immediate tangible problems. Sure, he healed the blind, the sick. He he gave to the needy and provided food for those who had none. He, He was tangibly meeting needs as a secondary purpose to make sure everyone understood that their real need was not immediate physical peace, but eternal spiritual peace. I'm afraid today we are confused about our own need. I'm afraid that many of us do not know the things that make for ultimate peace. I don't know what struggles you have in your life. Certainly we share this struggle of pandemic that is, is wrecking our world right now. But on top of that, you may have sorrow and grief beyond everyone else. You may struggle financially because of the pandemic or, or because of of different decisions that have been made in your life. Maybe this morning you're sitting there uncertain of your future with with your spouse. Maybe you don't know what your, your family life is going to look like. And you're crying out and saying, Jesus, if you would only give me peace in these circumstances, can I tell you this morning, well, I hope and pray he does. Your bigger need, your greater need is not for immediate peace, but for eternal peace. Jesus did not come to Jerusalem. Jesus did not come to this earth the first time for the purpose of bringing physical, tangible peace. Instead, he came so that you could have that eternal perspective, that eternal peace. Christ cried for Jerusalem because of their ignorance, because they couldn't see what they really needed. And then the third observation we see as we we read Luke 19, 41 through 44, is the consequence of that unbelief. Jesus describes in in some detail uh, Rome's siege of Jerusalem that will take place in 70 AD. He talks about how the city is going to be ravaged and wrecked. That in the days to come, the enemies will set up barricades around them, which we find actually happened. We, we read that they're going to hem them in on every side, which, which is exactly what Rome did. They, they basically surrounded the city so that they could get no resources in or out. And as hard as the residents of Jerusalem fought to stave off the Roman army, in a very short time, in a matter of four months, the Romans were able to completely destroy the city. To make it even worse, they they not only destroy the city, but they burn the temple. Jesus is describing this event. He's thinking of this event. He's sharing what's to take place as a reminder of the consequence of unbelief. But let us remember that Jesus often spoke in illustrative ways. Think about the parables that he spoke of and that he shared. Jesus often used great illustrations to demonstrate a spiritual point. And so the destruction of Jerusalem here is painting a picture of the consequence of unbelief. Note the destruction of Jerusalem was not the ultimate punishment for the sins of the people, but it was a foretaste. It was an illustration showing what our lives are like when we do not put our faith and trust truly in the Messiah. And so Jesus weeps because of the destruction of the souls of the people in the city. Why were these people destroyed? Why is it that Jesus is so sad when he sees this destruction? What is it that's making them be destroyed? Verse 44 tells us, he says, It's because you did not know the time of your visitation. Why is the city destroyed? Why are our souls eternally separated from God? What is this destruction about? The, the reason for the destruction is because they did not know the time of their visitation. This word, visitation, uh, the word translated visitation, is used three other times in the New Testament. All three other times, it is referring to some prestigious office. And so Timothy talks about the office of an overseer. And he uses this same Greek word here translated visitation. Elsewhere, it talks about a specific office or or a position of power. And, And so this word visitation rightly could be translated or read. You did not know the prestigious person who was before you even as he enters in with palm branches waving, people crying out, Hosanna, God saves, even as he rides in to the people pronouncing him as Lord and King, they did not recognize the Messiah when he stood before them. This morning, as we we get ready to wrap up, I, I wonder if you see Christ before you just as important, I I wonder who you see when you picture Christ before you. Are you looking for someone that will make your bank account inflate? Are you looking for someone that will heal an illness of you or a family member? Are you looking for someone that can patch up your relationships? Are you trying to find someone who will answer all of your questions Are you looking for a person who will fix all the wrongs in your life? Because if so, just as the people in Jerusalem were deceived, so are you. Jesus stands before you plainly. Not to promise that your earthly problems will be fixed, but to promise a way that for eternity you can have a relationship with God and your eternal problems will be perfected. Jesus is plainly standing before you this morning. The question is, do you see him for who he is? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for sending your son, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Lord, on this Palm Sunday, we certainly, as faithful followers of Christ, worship him as king. Worship him as Lord and Savior. Father, there are many of us, as we read this passage, see your son moved to tears and are understanding this morning that his tears are for us. Lord, I pray for those who are deceived this morning as to who this Jesus is. Lord, help them to have an eternal perspective. Help them to understand that That they need your forgiveness. That they need your guidance. They need your salvation. So, Father, this morning, let us worship you as king, not because we expect you to act kingly the way we want you to act kingly. Let us worship you as king because you are the Messiah, the Savior for our sins, the one who makes peace between us and the Father.